Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. We are back. Once again, it is The Core Report. Black Broadway presents The Core Report. And you know what we do over here, gang? We do the news. So uh, it's time for your daily dose of nonsense. And like I said, crew, I watch a lot of this shit, so y'all don't have to. But if you didn't watch the Republican National Convention last night, you missed a shit show of epic proportions and we're going to talk about the whole entire thing all through this podcast here you know what i'm saying we got to talk about a lot of national stories that are getting a lot of attention or actually should i say aren't getting a lot of attention they have my attention but they don't have the national attention like that and they deserve it of course a few local stories sports is still on fuego man we got to talk about this whole entire sports situation especially as it relates to college athletics and the environment So much to cover. Let's get on right into it, man. Last night's Republican National Convention was shenanigans, yo. And the the worst part about this shenanigans is that, again, I watch the shit because I feel like occupationally I have to. But according to C-SPAN's live stream numbers, 440,000 people tuned into the live stream last night to watch the kickoff of the Republican National Convention. And that's compared to 76,000 people who tuned in on the opening night of the Democratic Convention. As I was saying as I'm watching this, this all feels and looks and seems like a cult to me. This all feels like cultish activity. It feels like people just rallying around some real stupid talking points or some real fervent zealot that believes everything that he says and they're just falling in line like sheep. So it wouldn't surprise me that there's that many sheep that would follow and that would just jump on the live screen just because. But then I also think that there's a good portion of the country that is seeing this shit and maybe for the first time is starting to question, damn, is this really all about racism or is, is there something else that we're about here? And I have to say that the answers are little to none. Nobody came out there and spoke intelligently or with any gravity about the COVID-19 crisis. Nobody came out there and spoke intelligently or with any gravity about uh, what's going to go on with the stimulus and with the economy. Everybody, in fact, wanted to say that, you know, Joe Biden would destroy the economy. All types of nonsense. The list of speakers in itself should just tell you what kind of dumb shit was being spewed. I think the star of the night, the person who walked away with the gold star with the most recognition for all the wrong reasons, was Florida actually Trump campaign manager Kim Guilfoyle after her unhinged, screaming, maniacal rant at the stage. Like, that shit was scary. If you actually watch that in real time like I did... That was actually horrifying. But there was so much more horrifying stuff to go. Just imagine that that wasn't, to me, the lowest point of the whole entire program. Donald Trump Jr. spoke with his raggedy-ass beard, sounding like an idiot, all about talking points, red meat for the base, anything that sounds like it's inflammatory and it's going to get people to get on their side. Several black people, several, were trotted out. And as to vouch for the personal character of President Trump, not saying that he's a great policy guy, but no, he's not a racist. He's this, he's that. Herschel Walker, Vernon Jordan, Tim Scott, disgusting, disgusting displays of sycophancy all evening from these people. And I could not believe that Nikki Haley actually got up there and said the quiet part out loud. Nikki Haley, who I just learned yesterday, Nikki is not her legal full name. Her name is actually Niditad Arambhad or something, something very, very ethnic, very Indian. She is the daughter of two direct Indian immigrants. Her name is not Nikki Haley. She went and married a white man and Nikki is allegedly her nickname or or her middle name, according to her people. She got up there and said, discrimination's not a thing. She said, discrimination is not real, or racism is not real, rather, but her family did face discrimination. 
And that is why she changed her name. Insanity. Just to imagine people trying to rationalize and put uh, a sane face on the insanity that the Republican Party platform is about is just very disturbing to watch. And um, from what I see, I'm not the only one watching it. And I think that to a large extent, because I used to watch The Apprentice. That's one of the things that I definitely like to touch on. I watched The Apprentice for years. I enjoyed The Apprentice. I used to like that show. It's the same kind of dynamic with every campaign event, every press conference that this guy has. What the fuck is he going to say next? What's going to happen? What inappropriate thing that wasn't supposed to happen is about to happen now? And it's real crazy because it's not being produced by anybody. So... We're just watching this shit live. It doesn't know what's happening here. The biggest story in the news right now or the largest, you know, thing that I feel like our community and our people are focused on is the shooting of Jason Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Unarmed black man again shot by all white officers again. And in this particular scenario, fortunately for Mr. Blake and his family, He's going to live. He's he's surviving. He's He doesn't look like he's going to perish from his injuries. However, his family, doctors, lawyers, they all say it'll be a miracle. It's, it's very unlikely that he'll ever walk again. He's definitely paralyzed. I mean, seven bullets to the back of your body will tend to do that. Now, in the wake of all of this, of course, there's been civil unrest and riots or whatever, uprisings, whatever the media would like to call these things, expressions of anger and dissatisfaction with the police uh, department in public. Wisconsin's called in the National Guard. Again, this is the response as soon as black people start to display their disgust or their dissatisfaction with the legal system, whereas Proud Boys, uh, anti-three-percenters, all of these boogaloo boys, they can come out with their guns and yell at governors if they want, and there will never be a police presence equal to five teenagers standing outside with Black Lives Matter signs. So that's what's happening in Wisconsin currently. And one of the more disturbing things about this whole thing, and as it develops, I always get upset about this. Why is Benjamin Crump always called to represent these families? Listen, Benjamin Crump, I don't want to take anything away from the guy. I've actually met the guy in person, you know, in Orlando. I remember meeting this guy. Seems like a nice enough guy, man. He dresses, talks, and seems to have the same amount of efficacy as your favorite church deacon. I'm sorry. That's this this guy's whole entire purpose is to see to to present himself as legal counsel or the legal aid for these families that have suffered horrific losses at the hands of the state. And he's never an articulate spokesman. These people deserve more. They deserve better. I'm not saying that Benjamin Crump doesn't care. All I'm saying is that if you're going to have somebody out here on the front line every time somebody black gets murdered or assaulted by a police officer, then they should be a little bit more articulate and at least a bit more reflective of the people that they're trying to galvanize. Who is Benjamin Crump? Benjamin Crump is not on the front line protesting with people outside of any of these major cities. You know what I'm saying? He's not one of the people that this movement is going to look to as a leader. He's older. This whole entire, the whole dynamic of him coming out and being the spokesman for justice for these families, to me, it almost ensures that they're not going to get justice because people don't take this guy seriously. Ever since Trayvon Martin's killing, I mean... Not to say, and listen, I'm not blaming him. The American justice system is definitely weighted against us, okay? All of that's a very real reality. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are people who are very effective at manipulating it, and he does not seem to be one of them. Rest in peace to Johnny Cochran. JC was the man. JC was the man. And JC was just as articulate, just as sharp, just as vigilant about getting justice for his victims as Crump proposes himself to be. But he's very ineffective. Thank you. Lynette said this purposely, perfectly. He is very comfortable for white America. If you put somebody very articulate, razor-sharp wit, razor-sharp tongue, who is very militantly 
insistent on getting justice for these families, which is what Crump insists that he's about. If somebody came out and really calmly and articulately represented that, white America would be very uncomfortable. There would be a lot more resistance than there already is to people seeing social justice carried out or criminal justice carried out for the victims of all of these horrific crimes. And again, like I said, he's not effective. Zimmerman's still on the streets. Most of these officers, pretty much all the officers who have committed these crimes in the last few years have either been exonerated, received very little time, or have just been fired. And that's that. You know what I'm saying? And that's that. There's nothing else to talk about it. You know, man, Lynette, you put it right on, you hit it right on the head. Castrate, the castration of black lawyers or and the handicapping of people who would like to be effective against this system within the legal system that, you know, the avenues that the legal system provides, it's a very real thing. I say this all the time. We're not going to win this fight with the weapons that they provide to us. We're going to have to provide our own weapons. We're going to have to provide our own spokesmen, our own leaders in order to win a fight that we're in right now. We can't allow the enemy to dictate the terms in which we fight and which we battle. You know what I mean? These, all these things are just dire things. And again, the most important issues tend to slide under the radar. I've been talking about the RNC. I've been talking about the latest police murdering, et cetera, et cetera. But yo, what about school? What about education? Very simply put, like I said yesterday, I went up to my son's D.C. public school and finally received a device so that he can get online and do his homework and participate in his Microsoft Teams meeting with his classrooms and all of that stuff and be on top of it. I went up there, we signed the paperwork and got it. You know what I'm saying? Virtual school. It's a thing. I was very surprised when I went and did it and he was with me. He got his schedule. He looked at his schedule. He was like, oh, man, I got such a such. I don't like her. She's a crappy teacher, blah, blah, blah. I would have been beside myself like, God damn, I got to get a computer. What the hell is going on here? I'm not coming to school. I would have been beside myself about that. Kids are very resilient. Young people are resilient. We move on. They move on. They get with the times, get with the program. But in the meantime, in between time, you cannot allow education as it exists to slip through your cracks. And that's what seems to be happening with university education this year, at least. Colleges have not handled this thing well at all. And the funniest part about it is this this was entirely predictable. You're going to invite thousands of 18 to 19-year-olds to live in a communal environment and have to attend classes. Perhaps the classes are virtual. We understand wanting to look out for the professors. But we got kids with a limited amount of social interaction, living far away from home, on campuses, and you think that they're not going to throw parties and spread the most infectious disease to hit the United States in the last hundred years around? Ridiculous. University of North Carolina, Penn State, Notre Dame, UConn, all of these places are seriously scaling back or considering altogether kicking students out of their on-campus housing. They're out of here. You can't stay. Like, the amount of cases has been increasing exponentially since the beginning of this pandemic, and it is only, only getting worse with the opening of school. North Carolina now sits at a 31, has seen, excuse me, a 31% increase in positive cases ever since they started taking tests in the beginning of the school year. That's two weeks ago. That's two weeks ago, people. North Carolina has seen a 31% increase in positivity rates. That means shut it down. They've decided we got to do it. Kicking students out of their on-campus housing starting this week. So, I mean, like I said, I'm old enough to have friends that are taking their kids to college. And I can only imagine having to go pick your kid back up from college after dropping them off there only a few weeks ago. So, I mean, just a very wild time altogether. And... Again, the college experience is important, but you don't want to see the the brain drain that's going to ultimately become of this, where people actually have to, you know, are behind years of instruction. People aren't matriculating. The educational process is becoming less important because people are focused on 
survival. People are focused on, you know, communal living, going back home. Hey, kids can't sit in their house with their parents their whole life. You know what I mean? If you're 20 years old, you're a college sophomore or, or a junior, bro, you, I mean, you can't sit around. You have to develop life. So this is going to be a very interesting time for a lot of young people. And I just hope that education doesn't get pushed to the back of this equation because it's an extremely important portion and component in us defeating all of these societal ills that we have right now. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people want to think about a violent armed revolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woo, woo, woo. But the revolution is really going to start with some books. It's going to really start with the change of people's mindset and people starting to think and view things very differently. You know what I mean? And this is happening all over the nation. Shit. While again, we're talking about education, you know, yesterday Zoom had a massive outage. That was the first day of school for many people across the country. Zoom's outage affected mainly the U.S. and the U.K., but it was international. East Coast Corridor was highly affected. West Coast over there in Los Angeles and San Francisco was highly affected, but they got it under control. This, these, Not only are we up against the reality of distance learning and people adapting to that, but the technology isn't even fail-safe. The technology is not even fail-safe, so be careful. Like, again, you can't go wrong with these books. You can't go wrong with these things. Read those joints. They around. There's a lot of them. Pick one up. Learn some shit. And then when you learn some shit, go find somebody that's smart and talk about it with them. Find out what books they read that you haven't read. Yo, read them. Y'all discuss. That's how people learn. It's really not that difficult, gang. You know what I'm saying? But we're going to get right to it. Like I said, man. All types of shenanigans is happening all over the world, all over the nation, and people aren't really paying attention, man. Crime and punishment. The guy, Scott Peterson, I don't know if anybody remembers the whole Scott Peterson, Lacey Peterson drama where they were dealing with this man, Scott Peterson. Lacey Peterson was missing. She was pregnant, and she was a mother of one. Went missing. Got found sometime later dead in whatever, the home state that they lived in. I believe it was California. Scott Peterson comes on TV, her husband, crying, alleging that, oh, I can't find him. I don't know where he are. Just heinous shit. Come to find out, he's the one who killed him. Gets found guilty, gets sentenced to death in the state of California. His conviction was overturned today. His conviction, his conviction for death was just overturned and commuted to a life sentence. Again, I'm not a person who pulls for the death penalty or pulls for any type of cruel and unusual punishment. However, it does not make sense that Scott Peterson and the Golden State Killer, Scott Peterson, the Golden State Killer, all types of Jeffrey Dunn, all types of savage white people get life sentences. Meanwhile, a black man who stole hedge clippers in Louisiana also has a life sentence. Tony Lewis Jr., or pardon me, Sr., also has a life sentence. My man Snoop Cat, at 22, they gave him 30 to 50. That's a life sentence. You cannot tell me that these gentlemen's crimes are on the level of the Golden State Killer or Scott Peterson or any of these savages who run around mentally disturbed in this society that allows white men like Ted Bundy, Charles Manson, Jeffrey Dahmer, the list goes on to commit these heinous crimes undetected for years. In the case of the Golden State Killer, decades even. Why? Because they can hide under the cover of whiteness. Arch predators, serial killers hiding under people's alleged perception of them as just a nice, nerdy white guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't do anything to be considered dangerous, you know what I'm saying, but exist. All I have to do is come outside of my house and be six foot three and exist and be dangerous. These people are whole serial killers and have been sliding under the law for decades. And now Scott Peterson is going to serve the rest of his life in a California state penitentiary when Jason Blake won't be able to walk again. And he committed no crime. You know what I'm saying? A lot of these people who are victims of these extrajudicial killings are not even people who have committed heinous crimes. Heinous crimes do not get you extrajudicially killed if you're black in America. 
All it takes is just being brown, baby. So, meanwhile, in between twelve, this fact I found extremely interesting as well. Um, if anybody took the time out this weekend or last weekend, if you got some time today, do that. Watch the Yousef Hawkins documentary on HBO. It's very informative. And it also, I'll tell you one thing it does. And for a lot of people, you know, younger people, include younger people, a lot of people don't know about Fat Al. You know what I'm saying? You don't know about Fat Al Sharpton. Fat Al Sharpton was on some different shit. Fat Al Sharpton was a troublemaker who was living in New York City and was just starting mad shit. He was involved in starting shit. And before that, he was an organizer who, yo, my wife told me the story about why Al had the perm. And I had to laugh because I was like, damn, I never heard that before. James Brown wanted to go to, Al Sharpton wanted James Brown to go to the White House. In order for James Brown to go to the White House, James Brown, Al Sharpton at the time, had a big fro. He was chilling. He was doing his thing. James Brown was like, yeah, I'll go to the White House, my nigga, if you, if you perm that hair. Al Sharpton showed up the next day with the perm, like, come on, James, let's go. And James had to be true to his word, and he went, and that's how James Brown ended up meeting with Richard Nixon in the goddamn White House, and that's how Al Sharpton ended up with a perm for the last 40 years. True stories. You know what I'm saying? Who'd have thunk it? But Fat Al was about that business in Brooklyn, especially when it went down to the Yousef Hawkins killing. That was something that was a very racially charged incident. If you don't know much about it, I suggest you watch the documentary. They can explain it better than I can. But what I give you the, the overview is four black teenagers, three black teenagers, go to Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, at night to go look at a used car that one of their friends found in a newspaper. When they get there, because of racial tensions in the neighborhood stoked by just general racism and a lover's feud at the time, 30 white kids end up surrounding these three black kids who just happen to be there. A couple of the white kids also being real pieces of shit. One of them pulled out a gun and shot him. Twice in the chest for no reason. There was no fight. There was no scuffle. The kid just pulled out a gun and shot him. And he died. And this led to weeks, months even, of protests in New York City. And the brother's name was Yousef Hawkins. Very real story. This is the tie-in in 2020. On Hot 97, yes, where hip-hop culture lives, quote-unquote, where all your favorite rappers have to make a stop, where it's just the epicenter of hip-hop culture in New York City. Since 1994, this dude named Pasquale Rauchy, he goes by the name on the radio of Patty Duke. That's his name, Patty Duke, P-A-D-D-Y, Duke. His real name is Pasquale Rauchy has been working for Hot 97, and he, since 94, Yusef Hawkins happened in 89. Since 94, he's been working for Hot 97, and he is actually one of the suspects who was later acquitted due to his cooperation with the police in the Yusef Hawkins killing. Man, been working for Hot 97, he's been out here with Biggie and Nas and Pun and everybody for the last 30 years rocking, rocking with the hip hop community. And he is responsible for a, a killing. He was involved in a killing that literally has been in dozens of rap songs. That's the only way I even knew about it. When I was little, it was 1989. I was little. I didn't know what the fuck was really going on. But I heard Yousef Hawkins name in mad songs all the time growing up. And I'm like, damn, this nigga was involved in the killing, worked for Hot 97 for 40 years, 30 years damn near, and we just finding out? We just finding out? Hot 97 fired him the other day. They fired him this, actually today. They fired him today. They fired him this morning, and, you know, they were like, yo, we weren't aware. We didn't have no idea until we saw the documentary. And... I mean, while that's believable in a way, because, you know, it ain't it wasn't no social media, it wasn't no Google searches, it wasn't any way that this would have lived on in the popular mind state that was tangible, unless you was holding on to newspapers. You know what I'm saying? So that's one slight pass that I would give them. But on the other hand, 
This is New York City, and this is the biggest hip-hop radio station in New York City, and you're not vetting people that are coming in here and you claiming to be at the forefront of the culture? You claiming to be at the forefront of the culture, and you weren't aware of this in any way, shape, or form? Yusef Hawkins' killing was huge. Like I said, watch the documentary. This joint had New York on fire for a whole calendar year, basically. You know what I'm saying? Everybody came. Dinkins, Jesse Jackson, you know what I'm saying? I mean, this was a humongous deal. And for this guy to be working at Hot 97, like, in the immediate wake of that, if you say this is this happened in 89, the trial and all of that goes into 91, 92, this guy was literally hired right on the heels of him, you know, getting acquitted. He changed his identity, moved uptown, and now he's Patty Duke. So, Watch out for those culture vultures, man. They always present. And they always, you always going to hear a story like this years later. Like, oh, shit, I didn't know such and such was police. Oh, shit, I didn't know such and such was an agent, yo. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All of that. That's real, real shit. People be snitches and provocateurs all the time, bro. Man, and that's in, and that's just America. That's just America, bro. Like, that's, that's where we live. We live in this culture of just disgusting movements when it comes to law movements and law enforcement. It's crazy. And a lot of people slide right under the, under the cover. So they were involved in this situation. They go right over to literally the opposite situation. And, it, and nobody's the wiser, yo. I'll tell you where things do make a little bit more sense, interestingly enough. If you know me, if you know what I'm about, you know one of my favorite programs ever on television is Narcos. Narcos, the whole series, Narcos Mexico, Narcos Colombia, whole situation lit. I love it because they attempt in some way, shape or form to tell the story about how futile and how ridiculous the war on drugs actually is. And also the very crooked and dubious roots of this war on drugs. How did this thing really get started and who really was backing this thing? Anyway, Narcos Colombia probably goes the deepest into that because the Contras, they talk about the Contras a lot. The Contras in, in Colombia, it comes from this system, this community of violence, this culture of violence down that joint that's just deeply ingrained in, in, the, in the country. It comes from their con conquest by the Spanish, from the uh, legacy of the transatlantic slave trade. Colombia was a major slave port. If you ever go to Colombia, you go to Cartagena, anywhere like that, you're going to see mad people that look just like me. Colombia was a major slave port, major Afro-Colombian influence there. That is one of those countries that they are very invested in keeping the Afro-Colombians down because they do not want them to take over the culture, the government, anything like that. But they cannot stop Colombia's biggest business to date because the Colombia's customer can't stop, won't stop. Colombia's biggest business is cocaine, and Colombia's number one customer is us. The United States of America can't stop, won't stop with the coke, so Colombia will not stop producing it. The people who produce it and ship it and market it will continue to forever run Colombia. In Colombia this weekend, there were 17 people killed in three separate massacres all across this country. Three separate massacres. Several um, reasons have been blamed, and all of these reasons are a part of the Colombian culture. One, one arm of it is the FARC, the Revolutionary Government of Colombia, or the Revolutionary Guerrillas of Colombia, fighting against the narcos, fighting against the narco traffickers, yo. When these people have beef, when there's a disagreement, bodies hit the floor. Like, that's just how it happens. Like, a lot of people tend to die. Another interesting wrinkle in this is there have been armed groups of narco traffickers who are actually enforcing COVID restrictions in Colombia. So if you violate curfew in Colombia, you don't have to worry about the police coming to get you or being fined or anything like that. The Sicarios is on your ass. That's not something that you want. Very scary shit out there in Colombia. <laughs> Wild times, man. You know what I'm saying? It, it makes you think like, yo, this is America, but this is a whole different game plan. This is a whole different culture that we live in. As wicked as this is, 
it can be it can get a lot more blunt and a lot more wicked. Man, Washington D.C., you know, Babylon Central, our hometown. What's been going on? Everything, everything. Of course, we've got many, many protests going on with the uh, the Joy situation. The United States Postal Office, it, Postal Service, Postmaster General just happens to live in Adams Morgan. Shout out to people for uh, finding that information. Has been under attack all this week. And all of the protest movements that have been happening in Adams Morgan and around that area or whatever, man, the, the police are out and they're not effing around at all. As a matter of fact, I, I believe I mentioned this yesterday. If I didn't, let's get back to it. Protesting is illegal in Louisville right now. And Louisville, Kentucky is literally going up today, I believe, as a response to this new legislation, to be honest. Louisville, Kentucky is going up. Protests are illegal in Louisville. Anybody caught protesting can and probably will be charged with a felony, which automatically loses them their right to vote. So you have to be very careful about what entirely this protest movement is going to get you because, hey, I don't think that that's something that's on the books in D.C. As a matter of fact, D.C. just became one of the few jurisdictions, I believe it's three, in the country that allow people who are currently incarcerated to vote. You know what I mean? So shout outs to, you know, whoever was pushing this, pushing the envelope on that piece of criminal justice legislation. I really like that. But protesting is, you know, it's, it's real business out here. Meanwhile, in the real business also, that part of uh, Black Lives Matter that said defund the police, just in case y'all thought that was going fly, it's not. They totally paved over that. A lot of outlets were reporting that they paved over Black Lives Matter Plaza. See, I knew that that was capped because that would be entirely too symbolic of a gesture in the other way for people who originally fought hard or just initialized this movement of public art to say that, yeah, we can't allow this just to be steamrolled. Now, the defund the police part from the beginning was viewed as graffiti, as an illegal addition onto this state-sanctioned message. But that's the motherfucking meat. That's the meat of the message right there. That's what we really trying to say. Black Lives Matter is such a, a neutered phrase. Like, we get it. I, I know my life matters, you know what I'm saying? And if you don't believe that my life matters, then there need to be consequences for that. And that particular part of that Met Plaza spoke to the consequences. Defund the police. They had to get that out of there because that's too much like inspiring revolutionary thought. And we don't want that. You know what I'm saying? We don't want people doing any critical thinking or any independent thinking. And unfortunately, there's just a deep deficit of that. You know what I'm saying? And it leads us to repeat the the mistakes and suffer from the same shortcomings as our predecessors. Um, going to jail as a tactic in the 60s was something that certainly wasn't suggested for the leadership of the movement, and it certainly wasn't the only tactic that they employed. However, a lot of us and a lot of people in this current moment, because they don't and are not familiar with the other tactics that were deployed, they're not familiar with the political prisoners like Matulu Shakur, H. Rap Brown, Sundiata Akoli, that are still incarcerated to this day, because they're not familiar with those people and their philosophies and their methods, they just keep repeating the same shit they saw on Eyes on the Prize. And I hate to tell you, gang, that shit didn't work. I'm sorry. If you consider the civil rights legislation of 1964 the penultimate achievement in civil rights, then obviously you haven't been studying history. Or obviously you just haven't been paying attention for the last 50, 60 years in the wake of that. So I say all that to say that perhaps the philosophies of Kwame Ture and the philosophies of H. Rap Brown or other people who have been permanently silenced by the movement like George Jackson, perhaps their philosophies are worth another look and also a real goal at enacting them as opposed to falling in line with the subservient Negroes who who later became congressmen and later became titans of industry or later became people who, you know, 
we call upon whenever somebody black gets shot, i.e. Jesse Jackson or somebody like that. You just don't want to be on that side of the table. I'd rather not be on that side of the table. I, I stress scholarship, action, revolutionary thought, critical thinking, because that's the hardest shit. They don't, they don't want you to do that. You know what I'm saying? They want you to do something stupid and go out here and get yourself locked up. They don't want you to start critically thinking and encouraging others to critically think. So that's the world we live in. That's the environment that we live in right now. And while we're even talking about the environment, we have to talk about the environment. These California wildfires are absolutely out of control, yo. This is something that's actually going to, I believe, it's going to have a real deep impact on this country moving forward, especially moving into fall and all of that. When I keep hearing about where they are, too, if anybody ever been in Napa Valley, like wine country or something like that, man, it's beautiful up there, man. That's like God's country, man. I love it up there. That was like top 10 prettiest places I've ever been. And to think that all that shit is on fire right now, all of it's on fire right now. Think that like people, rich people, people like Rick Rubin, people like, you know, Will Smith, Tom Hanks, their houses and stuff are being threatened by this. Yo, think about the farmland. The farms that are being threatened, and not only just the farms that are threatened by the actual flames, but the smoke that's in the environment that the migrant workers who are often immigrants, perhaps undocumented because it's not in the country's or the company's best advantage to have American citizens or documented workers working for them when they paying them slave wages. All these people are, are suffering from this smoke that's in the air and they're not getting hazard pay. All of these are factors that are to be considered in these catastrophic wildfires that have now burned over 1.2 million acres and have already left seven people dead. Another huge factor in these wildfires that people are not thinking about is the firefighters. Firefighters who tend to fight these fires, they come from far and wide. But one place they come from specifically and a large percentage of them, the California penal system. Lots of people who are locked up in California jails are firefighters on the front line of extinguishing these wildfires all throughout this state. And they're actually dealing with a bit of a shortage of firefighters due to the fact that a lot of people were released from jail because of COVID. Imagine that. They don't have the money to pay firefighters and they don't have enough free firefighters volunteer and that's not volunteer they're very lowly paid but free labor involuntary firefighters to come and fight these blazes that's causing these blazes to burn even more so out of control imagine that and here's the 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 king of all these ironies when these gentlemen and sometimes ladies get out of the penal system or when they're released from the california prison system they're ineligible to be real firefighters. You can't even be a real firefighter because you have a felony, because you've been incarcerated. And even if you sat out there and fought all the fires, you put out all the fires in Malibu, it does not matter. You don't get no awards for bravery. There is no Purple Hearts being issued. None of that. There is no... Again, capitalism is a vicious system, and it won't even put out the money to save itself because there's slaves for that. <laughs> there's slaves for that. There's bums for that. There's essential workers for that. There's prisoners for that. We don't have to pay for that. Let's hold on to our money. That's our precious, that's our most precious thing right there. Our precious. We're gonna hold on to this money. We're gonna find some bums and some slaves to get out here and take care of whatever the hell else needs to get taken care of. Moving even further into the environment, I think I hope all of y'all are prepared and you know, all my Gulf Coast people, if you got family down there, you know, I know my wife, she from Houston. So, you know, we keeping our ears to the streets and anybody else, my, my all my peoples, my dad peoples in New Orleans, everybody out there, man. If you're out there, I hope that you um, are preparing yourself, man. Uh, Tropical Storm, what is this? This is Marco that's coming now. Mar Tropical Storm Marco is headed towards the Gulf Coast. It's looking like it's going to make landfall somewhere around Galveston, Texas, somewhere in between Houston and New Orleans. So I guess that's fortunate for both of those jurisdictions that it's not going to be a direct hit. Houston 
obviously dealing with Harvey in the recent past and New Orleans, I mean, to keep it funky, is still recovering from Katrina. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, nobody needs to be dealing with a natural disaster in the middle of a pandemic. So, you know, prayers up for all of those people. And again, when we talk about climate change, we talk about, you know, our carbon footprint. Hurricane season is much more vicious, much more aggressive. This is like the ninth named storm this hurricane season in the partic- in this particular jurisdiction. And that is high. You know what I'm saying? That's above average. Anybody thinking about what our carbon footprint does to that? You might want to reconsider some of the environmental choices you make or some of the companies you support, so on and so forth, because their actions and their success is directly contributing to environmental craziness such as this. You know what I mean? Oh, man, we are. Oh, God, this on the environment should it should upset a lot of people. But again, people don't pay attention. So we'll see. A study of over 100 cities, 100 cities, finds that poorer, blacker areas are literally, and I mean this literally, hotter than their more affluent, whiter counterparts. Imagine that. In real life, fam, it's hotter in the hood. In real life. That's not a joke. I'm not making that shit up. New York Times reported on this. 100 cities. They did studies and they show that the subsidized verbs, the subsidized government suburbs have temperature differences so much, almost, pardon me, not almost, as much as 12 whole degrees within a city. Yo, the block is literally hot. <laughs> the block is literally hot, y'all. Like, I mean, I don't, I, again, I can't make this shit up. Like, New York Times reported on it. It's definitely out there for you to go do the knowledge, do the research for yourself, man. In the meantime, in between time, they got us, you know, chasing cures for, for, you know, respiratory diseases that we know very little about. However, we do know that redlining and government subsidies have made us, made it so that they're literally putting people of color, black people, Latinx people, poor white people even, in hotter geographic areas within the United States. Just a little something to think about, man. I mean, you know, hey, I'm just here to drop off the brain food. You do the you do the dishes. You know what I mean? COVID-19 still got our still got us in the sport in the death grip. Interestingly enough, you know, if we haven't heard from Fauci in a while, yo, Fauci's out here uh having throat surgery. Fauci had throat surgery, you know, I believe he's in recovery right now. I think everything went well. He's doing well. But yeah, man, he's out here having throat surgery in the middle of a pandemic. Um, what else? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Who knows what's going on with that? Meantime, in between time, as I said, schools continue to close and the international second wave is upon us. I got to talk to my man, Blow, man. I got to figure out what's going on in Korea because... Every time I see his Instagram stories, I see him chilling. Every time I see, you know, him walking in the streets, I see people. They're wearing masks. They're doing what they got to do, being responsible. But life is moving on in Seoul, Korea. In America, it seems to be about to grind to a screeching halt. Not only because of COVID, because we are about to perhaps experience the most volatile and corrupt election in the history of our country. You know what I mean? But at least we got the NBA playoffs right before it, gang. You know what I mean? LeBron is doing his thing. LeBron's doing his LeBron thing. He got those uh, those trailblazers up out of there. It was fun for a little while. It was great to see Damon Lillard drop 61. But the fact of the matter is, is you're not going to do that every night, my guy. So here we are back again with Bron Bron and the Lakers in the driver's seat. Uh, I think they played the winners of the uh, Rockets OKC, you know what I'm saying, series. So we'll see what happens there. But do not forget, NBA is super trash. NBA is super trash. And the people who are involved are trying to turn this whole entire thing into the reality show. It's the real world now. So, you know, keep up on your uh, latest uh, Paul George news. Paul George actually turned the damn comments on his Instagram off. That's just to show you how juvenile this shit is. Paul George had turned the comments on his Instagram off. Man, this man was getting heated up out there 
by the general public. Couldn't take it. I understand, bro. You know what I'm saying? You got bigger fish to fry, man, for real, yo. You know what I mean? Due to all of that, though, I think it's real important that we all keep our eye on the prize and don't get distracted by this shit because, again, like I said, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion, and they want us entertained. They want us to be doing anything except for reading, except for, you know, advancing our particular, you know, knowledge base. Since nobody pays attention anyway, I think I'll talk about a book I went and picked up today. Mr. Augie, family friend, brother who made a lot of dope art in his time. He made a lot of dope art with my father, too. World-class photographer. Every time I go to Mr. Augie's house, I always pick up something cool, man. He, last time he gave me pictures, you know what I'm saying? He always give me a little something. Some, he give me some jewels every time. But this time, today, was all about books. And I saw this, and I saw the, the name Getty. And the, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you see the name Getty? Getty Images, right? Or, if you're a little bit older, you might think, or if you're from New York, you might think about the gas stations. Getty Gas. Getty Gas stations are still a thing in New York, and Getty uh, Images is the biggest thing in photography in the world. Getty was the richest man in the world for quite a while in the 1920s. However, I didn't know that at first anyway, and I also didn't know what type of a legendary piece of shit this guy was. This guy was such a Nazi supporter and such a legendary piece of shit that the State Department took his passport away. They literally took this man's passport away. Yes, Getty Gas, get, Getty Images. This man married not one, not two, but three different teenagers after divorcing his wife. Famous philanderer. Yo, this is disgusting. And I haven't even started it yet, but I can only imagine the filth that is behind these volumes. And what I thought about as soon as Mr. Augie told me all of this was... Yo, this is Donald Trump. This is literally the precursor to Trump. Although Getty probably wasn't politically savvy enough. I'll read about it. We'll see. He wasn't savvy enough, or at least the country hadn't turned in that direction hard enough to allow somebody who is as famously a piece of shit as this to become the United States president. We're here now. So very much so looking forward to this read right here. I'm always looking forward to reading books. And like I said, yo, I don't feel like people make it to the end of the show too much anyway unless they're very, very invested. So I get to talk a little bit of shit at the end of the show. So today's going to be a day where I talk a little bit of shit about how this shit is done. Hey, gang, I've had a great time on Instagram Live, and I love checking in with all of y'all and all of that. But to be honest, if we're going to do this and if we're going to be serious about this, we need dedication. We need a different level of investment. It's great that you can come by and casually pop in and, you know, send me a shout out and give a wave and do an Instagram like. And, you know, you probably feel like you're doing your part. You're supporting the kill. whoop de whoop That's great. Thank you. Don't get me wrong. I love all of that. But now we're moving to a space where, yo, this is a very real thing. I am trying, not trying, I am doing the news. And I am dedicated to doing the news for an audience that's dedicated to enlightening themselves, to receiving the news, to getting down with things that are being spoken about by a variety of voices all across the country and in an intelligent way. So in order to do that, I got to concentrate and I got to take this thing to a platform that makes sense. So starting Monday, I'm telling you, like when I get off this joint right now, I'm going right back into my OBS Starting Monday, we'll be on Twitch. I'll be dropping by on Instagram, just shout people out, give them, you know, hey, letting y'all know, you know what I'm saying? You can, you can still like the post and not do shit. You know, I don't care. <laughs> or you can show love, get down with the movement, support Black Broadway, support The Core Report, and subscribe on Twitch, man. Get down with us. We're doing this content. Like, I'm telling you, the new look of the show is... I'm working day and night on it, and it's going to be official. 
We're going to have a lot more information just on this screen for you. This screen is cool. This is me. I'm not that cute. You know what I'm saying? I'm cool. But, hey, I'm going to give you more to read, more to look for, more to understand, more to share. You know what I'm saying? And I only want people with me on that ride that's really about it. So, you know, I've appreciated all the casual support and shit, but this ain't casual. This ain't casual. This shit for real. So it's time to do it for real. You know what I'm saying? It's time to be for real. It's time to set that schedule. It's time to, you know, charge for this content, support, have set it up so that people can support, donate, and contribute to making this content better because it's no point in doing it if we don't grow. That which does not grow is dead. So we not dead. We living. We, we not just living. We thriving. We growing. So, you know, the show is growing, man. Uh, this Thursday, go ahead and like drop this bomb on them too, cause since motherfuckers don't listen, yo, Black Broadway live Eaton Hotel, early in the morning. We doing the morning news on Thursday. Let me see how many of y'all is up. You know what I'm saying? How many of y'all is paying attention? Casual attention is cool. I don't want it no more though. I never wanted it to be quite honest. Instagram attention, that's great for somebody. You know what I'm saying? And I'm glad that we've been able to get this level of awareness and attention but it's time to really see who about it who's really fucking with the movement you know what i'm saying because we can't take everybody i can't take all my all my followers i can't take all the sneaker accounts i follow i can't take all the 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 thoughts i follow you know what I'm saying? i can't do it i gotta take this whole thing into the year 2021 with some seriousness and with some very real dedication and um I'm going to make it. Y'all, I was very inspired today. Big shout out to my big bro. Happy belated birthday also to the big bro, Jerome Baker III, man. My man was on Twitch getting busy today. If you're not subscribing to that, you slipping. You missing out on the vibes, man. The music that we all used to party to and listen to and the way that it was presented, JB is right back in his bag on Twitch all the time. He's got a schedule up. There's ways you can subscribe ways you can support. I'm damn sure a subscriber and a supporter, and I would like to see the rest of us become that way and support those who support us. The people who give us what we want, let's help them maintain without them having to go ask the white man. Because when you ask the white man, the white man go ask you for something else. And, you know, it ain't just white, it's brown, it's Spanish, it's whoever wants to be in charge of your creative output. We don't got to go ask the man. We can ask whoever. We can, we can ask the people that enjoy and that appreciate our creative output. Our creative output. So, again, yo, great Getty. Looking forward to getting into this. Open broadcast system. Do the knowledge on that if you would like to stream and get into that. That's very important. And uh, that's it, gang. We did the news, man. Always remember, things work out the best for those to make the best of the way that things work out. I love you all, and I appreciate you so much for tuning into the stream and rocking with Black Broadway, man. It's the beginning to the end. Countdown to detonation. You know the vibes, man. We out of here. Peace.